Are you passionate about creating a physical product, something you can touch, feel, or taste, and then get paid for it by those that love what you've created? Well, the Product Launch Rebel Podcast is the one for you, where you get insider tips on how to spot an opportunity, manufacture your product, get financing, and achieve the independence you've always dreamed about. It's time to crank it up with your host, product developer, investor, and founder of VentureSuperfly.com, John Benzik. Greetings, product launch rebels. This is John Benzik from Venture Superfly, the website that helps you double your entrepreneurial courage, even when you're in a sea of self-doubt. Today, I'm introducing you to Joe Heron. He's the president and CEO of the Copper and Kings American Brandy Company based in Kentucky. Joe and his wife, Leslie, previously founded the Crispin Cider Company in 2008, which was acquired by Miller Coors in 2012. And prior to that, they founded the Ardea Beverage Company. It marketed sodas under the Nutrisoda trademark, and it was acquired by Pepsi Americas in 2006. Joe grew up in South Africa and lived in the United Kingdom, Sweden, and the USA. His career has spanned the globe and covered marketing and management roles, in global multinational corporations, as well as bootstrap startups. Joe, it's great to talk to you. Thanks for being here. Thank you for, for having me, John. It's nice to see you again. It's been a while. It's absolutely my pleasure. I really appreciate it. So, Joe, you're on your third beverage-related company launch. Am I correct? Shoot me now. It's the third. It's crazy. And what I'd like to do is my first question for you is if we can go back before you launched your first beverage company, can you tell me what your career history was up to that point and what led you to launching Nutrisoda? So my, my very first job was in advertising. Um, I worked for Ogilvy and Mather in, in South Africa and EDB Needham and then Bristol Myers were my client and I joined Bristol Myers in marketing and then took various roles in in the consumer products division of Bristol Myers um, and then was moved to the UK, lived in London uh, and joined Novartis, the Swiss pharmaceutical company in their um, consumer division. So selling uh, the likes of, you know, Savlon and Xlax and um, all sorts of interesting products, which I, I really enjoyed that job, actually. And um, was then promoted to work for Novartis, running their consumer business in the Nordic region, running their four uh, Scandinavian countries, and including Finland. Um, and then uh, was moved to the, to the U.S. to live in Minneapolis, uh, running their medical nutrition business. Uh, and that is... Was the trajectory before we started Nutrisoda? Um, I was running Novartis's medical nutrition business based in Minneapolis, uh, and uh, and that was kind of the germ of the, the Nutrisoda idea, I guess. So, are you a? Would you consider yourself a born creator? Was launching that first company in your destiny? Uh, you know, um, I think that it's what I do best. Uh, I think it's my creative medium. I think it's um, something that 
uh, I'm well suited to. I think it's the water that I swim in. Uh, I, you know, I like music, but I can't sing and I can't play an instrument. I'm really interested in art and you know, can't paint or, or draw. And um, this is my creative expression. I think it's, it suits us well. Joe, did you grow up in an entrepreneurial household? Was that something that was close at hand for you to sort of see and watch as you were growing up? Not, not particularly. Um, I think growing up in South Africa, you grow up in an environment that's very comfortable with change. It was an extraordinary amount of change happening when I was a young adult. Um, and I think it, that kind of uh, ability to manage change and embrace change and feel comfortable in it will probably help as an entrepreneur. But from a family background, no. Uh, my father was in the computer industry and had senior jobs and significant jobs ending with Sun Microsystems. Um, but, you know, uh, it's interesting because, you know, both my brother and my sister are also entrepreneurs. You know, my, my sister is a person with a, her own design agency, but she also opens restaurants and things like that. And my brother is into waste management and environmental sustainability, and they have entrepreneurial business. So maybe there's a, a gene in there that's common. I want to ask you a quick question about Copper and Kings, your current business, and, yeah. and what that is before I sort of do a more historical um, analysis and, and uh, interview. So tell us about Copper and Kings. What is it? What's What phase are you in? So we're in our second year at Copper and Kings. We're an American brandy company based in the heart of bourbon country in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, and that uh, we could probably discuss in a whole lot of detail next uh, in terms of business strategy. But um, we make American brandy. Uh, we make grape and apple brandies aged in Kentucky bourbon barrels. Uh, and we're in the, the phase we're moving out of our start up into a scale up and all the drama and trauma of the terrible twos. Tell me why did you move down there? Was did you need to be in the heartbeat of and the and the culture and where, where that all that culture is? Yeah, you know, we we were looking to start a branding an American branding company and, and we were wanting to anchor ourselves in the heart of the American distilling tradition which really is rooted in Kentucky. Um, and with that anchor, you know, we differentiated ourselves away from more, you know, European styles like cognac, say, you know, brandy like that. So being in Kentucky gave us a, a lot of advantages from not only the branding aspect, but also the, the technical capability aspect as well. Fascinating. I want to get into that and learn more about that. But I want to jump back to when you launched your first company. Was your first company the Nutrisoda organization? Yes, it was. We started Nutrisoda in, in 2003, I believe. It's a long time ago. Right. You have to measure in dog years if you're an entrepreneur. So that's a long time ago. And uh, um, the basis of the idea um, was that we would, we would launch a product with nutrient enhanced benefits that were functional as opposed to just pure monkey dust. Um, and because I'd been at Novartis Nutrition, I knew the nutritional profiles that could help. 
and facilitate that. So that, so that really helped. The so German that's really where it where it started. You had this moment or this was it was an aha moment or what did it emerge over time that this is something that you should pursue uh no it was more like me and les having a bit too much to drink me hating my job and her coming up with a great idea and, and me saying oh i can really do that i know how to do that so it was more of a break in the clouds yeah? uh, uh more of an aha moment at that stage this is a great moment for me to sit and chat with you on this because I want our listeners to know something that I've always been curious about. Now I have an opportunity to ask you this. I live in the Twin Cities in Minnesota. That's where you were when you started Nutrisoda. And to me, the, the success story that you had in building that first organization, to me, came out of nowhere and as the, the, the little I know about that situation is within the, the 18 or 24 months or something after you essentially started that business, am I right? You were sold to Pepsi Americas? Is, was that, it that successful that quick? I, I, that is an amazing story that I want to get into for some of our listeners because it's, I want to know how you did that or what the variation might be. And I'll, I'll tell you this, and I'll tell your 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 listeners this, because you know we're now in our third um, startup, and we have a very specific way of starting businesses. And I always say we because all of our businesses are started in conjunction with my wife Leslie, uh, who's at the beginning of them, at the end of them, and through the middle, and the drama and trauma of them. Um, and if I have any advice, it's this: have someone who's got your back and that that can you know stay with you through the tough times. Because starting business is not easy, but we have a high degree of specificity in terms of how we think about opportunity relative to starting a business, and we we call it the well-served paradigm. And what that means is we ask two questions, and the first question we ask is. is how well served is a market, and you know that relates to competitive density, how many brands there are, you know, um, how fragmented the market is, and those things. And, and a lot of people think of that, and it's important. We then ask another question, which is how served well is a market, and that's a different question. And the served well aspect relates to packaging, image, product intrinsics, quality the ways that you can improve and enhance and elevate uh, a, a, a product entry into a market. So for us, um, you know, we, we started Nutrisoda as a nutrient-enhanced soda where there was none. In fact, in so much so that we trademarked the category, Nutrisoda. Um, there was, you know, a couple of really important aspects for us. One was Vitamin Water and Fuse had established nutrient enhancement as a as a as a benefit with water and with juice, but there was no soda with that benefit, um, a health benefit. The second part was Red Bull had kicked down the door in terms of pricing, so the margin structure changed, and you could actually get a you know a dollar ninety nine a can in those days, which enabled you to get a price point that delivered margin and that was very new 
Um, and so that that's how we started that. When we did Crispin Cider, um, yeah, everybody was doing uh, craft beer. And, you know, if you look at craft beer, it's a, uh, it's a market that's well served and served very well. I mean, the vacant space within that is is very challenged. Whereas cider, you know, cider was less than 0.5% of the beer market when we started. No one was doing anything from fresh pressed apple juice on any scale. So, so we had an intrinsic opportunity. And then the European cider market had exploded over an, an over ice serving ritual. So you had product intrinsics to elevate the, the, the proposition and make it more adult. Uh, and less sweet, you had a serving ritual over ice, which was naturally enhancing to 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 drinking a cider. And then the competitive frame was, you know, very light. You had woodchuck and you you had strongbow, and and that was pretty much it. Um, you wouldn't know that today when you look at the the cider business now. I mean, there's there's a Brazilian of them. There's a lot of them. So. When you went into Nutrisoda that first time, did you have that philosophy or that mental framework of serving well, well served, or did you sort of get in the right place at the right time? And the truth be known, that that was probably a little bit more serendipitous than strategic. You know, it was a good idea. Where I mean, clearly the thinking and the thought process of saying, "Is this a great idea?" was. Well, we can get a buck ninety nine can, so you know, and there doesn't seem to be much competition. But the articulation of that strategy and that and that philosophy that's evolved over time. Now, growing up, now we were babies then. Yeah, I mean, it's. Did you have an exit strategy? when you went into that first business, because I heard from somebody, of course, there's rumors all the time with things that you were very clear on your exit strategy and your goal was to be picked up by Pepsi Americas. I don't know if that's true. Was that indeed the case? I would say at that time, um, we were definitely, uh, you know, building a business that we would, we would hope we could flip. Um, I think that if you're going to start a business, uh, you you always have to have in mind whether you know there is an exit strategy, um, unless you know you have a lot of money and and you get rich very quickly because starting businesses takes an extraordinary amount of money um, and you have to be successful much quicker than you think. So when we look at 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 our business, clearly the way we design. Our market entries are attractive to other companies. You know, very few people had a hard side of play in the beer business when we entered into it in the U.S. You know, certainly neither Miller Coors or, or Anheuser-Busch um, had anything in, in, in that game. And so, you know, you, you knew that, you know, that if necessary, you could find someone with the pockets to to help grow these businesses and scale them ever bigger, so we always map the the landscape because that's part of the portfolio strategy. Is we tend to look at businesses that because they're pioneering are always 
opportunities to fit gaps in portfolios of larger companies. They're there. It's amazing to me how you make it look so easy. You oh, really, from, really a, from a distance, it's just, you know, you go from Nutrisoda to Crispin and now this. It truly is, a, you know, from a distance, just a, a remarkable, remarkable track record. Um, do you do you think you're more motivated, inspired, interested in the the launch project, but not the managing project? Or did you get offers for these businesses that were too hard to pass up that you just took them? Do you see yourself running, for example, Copper and Kings for 10, 20 years? Um, I'm just trying to stay alive right now. <laughs> of course. You know, um, you know um, they're, they're different phases. So the, the, first, the first year is always the most, you know, adrenaline driven. You starting, you getting going. Years two and three are, are really awful years. You, you know, you've, you're, 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 you're moving out of startup into scale up. You, you know, you're reconfiguring distributor networks. You're looking at where you're strong and where you're weak and making a lot of decisions. You're always investing ahead of the game, you know, on hiring salespeople, staffing, um, inventory. So it's quite fraught to say that years two and three. So they're really, you know, you, about survival. And then year four um, is when you start to develop your wings. Um, I, I mean, do, do I get excited by the the juice of of starting businesses? Yeah, it's incredibly uh, exciting and interesting to see your your idea become a reality. Um, but if there's anything that's different between me and Leslie and and everybody else is we're obsessed with execution. We just look at execution. You know, you only make one way, money one way, and that's by selling boxes. So everything revolves around taking your idea and executing at a plane of excellence and, and then doing anybody else can so uh, because on, of your size. So on that very topic of execution, and that's a really, really important point, what might be the top, two or three executional points. What do you mean by that? So we're talking to other um, uh, budding entrepreneurs right now. So tell us what that means, at least in your business, that execution. So the first execution point is in delivering a superior product. So you, you, you have to get out there and make sure that your product is superior to the competition and worth the price that you're charging for it and packaged in a way that makes it compelling to be taken off the shelf. Okay, so that's that's it. That's your number one execution focus um, from, from the, the first start of it. And if I could uh, just insert there, because I've been involved in my own consumer product startups, I just want to help our listeners know a little bit. When you have the product that is inherently strong, versus the competition. And you really need to make it do its work on the shelf because of your limited marketing dollars, correct? Correct. 
It's critical. Your number one sales tool is your is your product, um, which segues into your second priority once you you get in. In terms of execution, it's all about sales. It's all about how you get sales. So in the beverage business, it's really heavily driven through distribution and distributors. Um, and alcohol is legally defined to be you know distributed by uh, a third party. So how you manage that dis distribution network is fundamental to your success. So you have to have a product that fits their portfolio and, and adds value to their, their selling machine that's on the street. Then you have to develop a, a, a sales resource that supports that selling machine so that they are educated, you're opening accounts for and with them, uh, and you're building and you're building a sales base with them, and then you have to focus on uh, filling in the gaps. I mean, this store, but not that one. I'm, I have this product in, but not that one. I have this uh, menu placement, but not that display. Things like that. So it's it's a you, it's at the core face day to day sales execution, and then it's about you know perfect supply chain. Supply chain is the most underrated business uh, tool that you can get. If you can master your supply chain, you can make money. If you lose control of your supply chain, you lose money. And do you, are you referring to both the upstream and the downstream? For, for us, it's, 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 it's mainly downstream because um, we sell to distributors who pick up from us. So, you know, we're very focused on, let's use Copper and Kings as an example, which is about copper pot distillation, non-chill filtration, no additives, Kentucky bourbon barrels, things like that. And you have to master that within the context of brandy is made from fruit. So fruit comes once a year. Uh, so how do, how do you master that? So you have to, you have to, you have to learn that trick because Complexity isn't, it can be an asset to you and your business if you've mastered it. Yes, and I want to make a point too, just to emphasize what you're talking about. Working with distributors is often something that a product developer, somebody who plans to launch product, is, is not prepared to handle, either because of the cost of their product, they can't hit a retail point, price point, or they don't get the margin in it, especially if they're working with distributors. And, and you're, you're letting go of control for delivering the product closer to the consumer. And it's, it's really, really, a, an, it requires some, some real careful planning. And you, as you say, the execution. Um, do you have anything to add on that? You, no one's Unilever or Coca-Cola that can reach you know, vast amounts of territory without distributors. So everyone needs a distributor. And distributor management will see a great opportunity for a, you know, a new product that fits a, a gap in the market um, and is a good idea, well packaged and all of that. Uh, the reality is the distributor sales rep just sees more work. And so your job is to, is to bridge that gap between distributor management and the company and, and the rep by, by, by working with them, working for them. Uh, and and sharing both knowledge and the workload. I mean, that's 
that's pivotal to the success of any business. It's probably the number one success factor of, of, of any startup business is, is getting a great distributor relationship going, whatever style of distribution, which could be from you know, specialty distributors and non-alcoholic soda distributors and for Nutrisoda's case to, to beer distributors for Crispin to wine and spirits distributors for Copper and Kings. Joe, what have you most learned about yourself when, since you've become an entrepreneur? Oh, that I'm far more stupid than I even remotely realized. So um, tell me more. I think entrepreneurs are inherently stupid. You have to be quite dumb to actually throw yourself off a cliff and then expect to fly. Um, that doesn't, there's no logic to it, but there's a couple of people that do it and can do it. And I think that entrepreneurs are much more about managing opportunity and managing risk. Um, and I will tell you that what I've learned, is, you know, entrepreneurs are like dogs who bark at the stick in the water. They're very few that get wet. They're very few that go swimming. Okay. Uh, Leslie and I, we go swimming. We go fetch a stick. That's a fun analogy. Joe, if you can remember back to when you first started the first beverage brand, do you remember what it felt like when you started looking for help going out and selling to investors, retailers, distributors, all of those stakeholders? Can you recall the feelings that you had when you were doing that? And do you have any advice on it? It's kind of like auditioning for, as an actor, auditioning for a movie. And you have to, you have, to have a thick skin. You have to develop a very succinct way of communicating that elevator speech that gets you to have a deeper conversation. Um, and that's, and that's, that's hard, and you get better at it as you do it. So don't treat rejection as failure, treat rejection as training. You're doing it to get fit, it's running a marathon, you're getting better. Every time you, you pitch, you get better. Um, and so, you know, have, have, it, have it down in a way that if you can't sell it in, in a very short period of time, then it's very hard to get somebody to, to understand your idea on a shelf. So, um, you know, nail that presentation down um, value your company correctly, raise more money than you think you need because you'll need a lot more. If I have any advice, if someone wants to start a business, come talk to me. I'll stab you in the leg, steal your wallet. You're going to be that much in pain and it's going to be, you're going to be that poor. It's a difficult thing, but there's no bigger opportunity to dream bigger, to realize self-actualization better bigger and to to actually understand the real meaning of what it is that makes America a fantastic place to live, work and be the best that you can ever be. And that's that's a joy. There's tremendous joy in it, but there's no free lunches in this world. There's no easy routes. And for that joy you don't have to sacrifice. You're gonna have to sacrifice any predictability, you're going to have to sacrifice any 
security, you're going to have to sacrifice any time because you may not even work as hard as you used to. It's the dreaming that'll kill you because that's all you ever do. So um, it's not for everyone. Uh, you have to be brave, you have to be dumb, and you have to move like a wolf. Have you, has it gotten any easier, Joe, in the th- going from one to two to three? Um, I think that I think that strategically and conceptually and all of that we're, we're far more mature entrepreneurs than we used to be. You've clearly, if you haven't learned something over, you know, over this decade plus that we've been starting businesses, then, then you're not learning anything. So I think we really are good at uh, developing the frameworks for entry. I think we're very good at packaging, marketing, sales execution, but you know the consumer doesn't know any of this. Uh, and we're, we're, we're going into markets that are about pioneering categories in many ways. That means that we bear a heavy load as the, as the startup, as the, as the new entry. Um, and, that, and, and that's tough. That can be really tough. And they, they, are, you know, they are fraught. There's a lot of ups and downs that if you're looking for a, you know, a more smooth, smooth lifestyle trajectory, don't start a business. The highs and lows are extreme and they happen very fast. Who has been most influential to you and why? So my wife, Leslie, is the most influential person, not only in my life, but in starting these businesses. And she, she directly influences the business in, uh, with a high degree of specificity. Leslie helps make these businesses coherent and make sense and, and, and all of those things. But I'll give, you, I'll give you a moment. I just left Nevada and I was... You know, we had a big, big shot, big suit job, and I'm sitting there. My friend Dan Schmidt had arranged for a sampling at Haskell's in Hopkins. So I'm sitting outside. We put a table outside, and I'm sampling my my new product, and I'm, like, really feeling very anxious and, like, almost a little bit of a come down, you know, from, you know, here I was. I used to be running all these you know, hundreds of people. Now I'm the man behind the table saying, would you like to taste my new soda? I'm looking there and my son, Matthew, probably about 10 at that stage, comes up and he had the biggest smile on his face. He was so proud of me. It was the greatest thing he had ever seen in his, in his life. His father had started a business and there he was selling his product outside Haskell's, and he thought I was the bomb. He was, and it, honestly, that, I knew I could do it after that. I want to close with the last question of where will Joe Heron be in five years? What will you be doing? So right now, I don't even think about five years' time. I think about five months' time. I'm I'm planning what is the, the Christmas, you know, the holiday sales season look like. Those are, the, those are the important things. If we're not distracted, we're all about thinking about that. So what, you know, I don't have any substantive hobbies. 
Um, I don't. I like to be in business. I really like this business. I like this business a lot. Um, so I'd hope to be uh, involved in this business. That'd be great. That would be awesome. But you know, we're not dreamers. I have to ask one more question. I just have to dig deeper on this because I might not have a chance to talk to you for quite a while. And that is getting back to the Nutrisota thing. So you flipped that thing so quickly. And I've been involved in consumer product launches, distributing through grocery, natural product food stores. That first company you launched, you turned over so quickly. And, you know, I know how many stores there are in Twin Cities. I know, and, and I don't think you branched out much too farther than Minnesota, am I correct? You were primarily with a good market share here. Um, you know, I can't, I can't remember, John. Okay. Uh, we were certainly, you know, Minnesota was the hub, but, you know, we were broader than that because we were, you know, sold in Target stores and things like that. We yes. certainly yes. got a, a wider footprint than that. But um, is your question related, how do you sell these things so quickly? Yeah, how do you ha how do you generate that kind of performance with a consumer product in your new in your first attempt at this and 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 get so much success in so short a time? It's it people try this all the time. It's very very challenging. I think it was I think it was the product gap. You know, the, no one's going to buy a, a product. No company's going to buy a product that doesn't add to their portfolio okay in terms of they don't want they don't want a whole lot of me too products you know that's there's no value in that um and so you have to you have to think about what the value is for somebody that you know if you were fortunate enough to be acquired and it's hard to be acquired that you you fit their their portfolio that's that's job one but people buy if you if you People are looking for very strong branding, very differentiated product intrinsics, and a high level of execution um, capability on the ground. Those are the three reasons why you buy somebody, because otherwise you can do it yourself. So you, you want an idea that, that's new and fresh. You want it executed on the ground with speed and, and, and excellence. Uh, and then you want the juice to have enough legs to live for a long, long time. And, you and you know, we have a saying, slow is poison. I'll give you another analogy. It's a rugby analogy. And, I, and I'm a South African, so I like rugby. So in rugby, you get big, slow guys. And you get small, fast guys. And these days, you even get a lot of big, fast guys. In rugby, there's no such thing as a small, slow guy. The number one differentiator beyond your product is speed. If you can't be faster than a big guy, you're going to get pounded. Joe, thank you. We'll talk to you real soon. See you later, buddy. Take care. Well, you've just listened to another episode of Product Launch Rebel featuring John Benzik of Venture Superfly. To download episodes of previous shows or for other entrepreneur-related resources, visit VentureSuperfly.com. Be sure to like Venture Superfly on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to Product Launch Rebel in iTunes. Join us for our next Product Launch Rebel episode, where we'll continue to reveal insider tips on how to launch and grow your physical product-based business.